I'd like to invite you to turn with me to today's scripture. It comes from Luke 2, verses 1 through 21, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's holy word. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Can you even imagine? I mean, Mary was a girl. Can you even imagine what was going on in her mind when, when she was visited by an angel? Can you even imagine what was going on in her mind those nine months and then when the baby was born? Can you imagine what was in her mind as she raised the boy? Can you imagine what was in her mind as she saw him become a man, as she saw him become the center of attention in that part of the world? Um, can you imagine what she thought when she saw him hanging on a cross? Can you imagine what she saw and what she thought, I mean, when she saw her son risen from the dead in the flesh? Can you imagine what she was thinking when he left 
her life physically when he ascended and at least for her earthly life was not available to her anymore. Can you imagine? I don't think you can. I don't think we can really understand what Mary was thinking. We are focusing on songs, on Christmas carols. This is, a, this is not so much a traditional carol. It's a contemporary song that was, was made popular by Sarah Groves about a decade ago or so. She recorded it, but it was written by Steve Hindelong and Mark Lee and Matthew West. And this song, I think it captures Mary's historically unparalleled experience. And nobody in history can claim to, to have to have the kind of thoughts and emotions that went through Mary's mind. What her soul had to process and contemplate and consider for her entire life. <laughs> Pregnant with the Son of God. And uh, I think in a, in, in a very simple way, this song, uh, Child of Love, it, it captures Mary's unique but familiar uh, situation. Her situation, I think, was unique, but it was familiar also. In a way, we can't relate to what Mary went through. But in a way, we actually can relate. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Mary's situation was profoundly unique. We, we, we cannot relate to the news that Gabriel brought to her. Uh, we, you, uh, ladies, you cannot relate to that type of a pregnancy. Uh, none of us can relate to that type of a parenting situation. Um, we, we can't relate to her life. In a way, Gabriel comes and says that she is favored. If you read earlier in, in, Luke, cha- in Luke chapter 1, he greets, Gabriel greets Mary as a favored woman. There's only one other person in the Bible who is approached that way by Gabriel. It's Daniel. Check it out. You are highly favored. You are highly loved. Daniel and Mary. And then her cousin Elizabeth, earlier in chapter 1, calls her blessed among women. Now, now in one uh, church tradition, in, in Roman Catholicism, uh, I've observed that Mary is functionally worshipped. She's basically worshipped in certain Christian traditions. I think wrongly. On the other hand, in Protestantism, she's basically overlooked. Uh, uh, out of fear of not worshiping Mary, Protestants tend to just kind of forget about her uh, and, and not, not celebrate the unique humility of this girl who accepted her lot in life. Right? When the angel was done talking, she said, you know, so be it. I am the Lord's servant. Profound humility and simplicity in this girl who was told she was going to be pregnant with the Son of God, and it looked scandalous. It wasn't a scandal, but it looked scandalous. And the way she responded was, I think, almost awe-inspiring. And we should celebrate that and honor this woman, who in the world and in humanity was unique in the burden that she carried, in the calling that God placed on her life. Not worship, but admire and praise God for the faith of this young woman. Um, but there's also something very familiar 
There's a familiar aspect to Mary's story. And uh, I think what's so convincing about the Bible, uh, it's very old, but it's very authentic. Have you noticed? When you read in the Bible, people are just people. They're not heroes. They're not gods and goddesses. There's only one God in the Bible. And everybody else, they're just people. They're people like you and me placed in very odd and amazing circumstances. Mary's another one of them. Uh, Despite artistic depictions of her and some religious depictions of Mary, she's not a goddess. She's a woman. She's a person. Uh, She's favored, but she's fallen, just like me and you. And you see that. You keep reading through Luke's gospel. Read all the gospels. And you'll begin to see Mary's fallen nature in her life. And just a few examples. There were times when Mary and her other children, Jesus had brothers and sisters. There were times when when Mary and the other kids really struggled to understand who Jesus was. Uh, they, They would misinterpret the meaning of his power, the purpose of his power, and the meaning of his miracles. Uh, they, they would misunderstand, she would misunderstand his messianic identity, that, that he was not Messiah to conquer Jerusalem and the Roman Empire, but that he was Messiah to be a suffering servant. Uh, she didn't understand those things, despite what the angel had told her. Uh, if you read John chapter 7, We're told that not even his brothers believed in him, his biological brothers. We're told in Mark chapter 3 that Mary and Jesus' other siblings thought he was, quote-unquote, out of his mind. This is coming from Mary as Jesus became a man. So if, if you have been skeptical of Jesus throughout your life or at times or even now, I want to encourage you. We are glad you're here and you're not alone because Jesus's own earthly mother was skeptical about him. Despite what she had heard directly from an angel, directly from the messenger of the Lord, Mary was skeptical about who Jesus was. Um, And so I'm glad you're here and I hope that your skepticism will eventually, if not today, soon give way to something else because Mary Regardless of the fact that she was a human being and fallen, nonetheless, Mary took all of these matters related to her son. She took all these matters close to heart. What, uh, what did you hear the song say? And as I humbly hold you now, this is picturing Mary with the infant. As I humbly hold you now in my heart, I know I'm holding heaven's child. But Mary, Luke tells us in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This pondering and treasuring up the things that she saw and heard and discovered about her son. This became a habit of Mary's. We see it later in this chapter. Uh, at, at, at the end of chapter 2, in a verse 51 of of. Uh, Luke's second chapter, we find that when Jesus was 12 years old and they couldn't find him and they went back to Jerusalem and and they found him in the temple courts talking about uh, the things of God with these learned uh, religious scholars and and priests and and clergymen, 
they, uh, and everybody was amazed by him. And, and, and they said, what, where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you, son. And he said, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And, and when he called the temple his father's house at the age of 12, uh, Luke tells us, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. This was a lifestyle for Mary. <laughs> being blown away by this child and by this young man so that she continually treasured up all these things in her heart. And so should we. A life of faith is a life of treasuring the truth about Jesus. That's what the Christian life actually translates to. It's, it's always holding close to your heart, as Rachel said early, all, earlier, always holding close to your heart what you've heard about Jesus, what you've heard him say, and, and what he does, and what he's done. Holding it close to you. So, so Mary's life as the Lord's servant really does correlate with ours. This is the aspect of Mary that should be familiar to us, that can be familiar to us. The concept of living by faith. So she treasured the news about Jesus. She treasured what the angel said. Doesn't mean she was always ecstatic and excited about it. Sometimes she was like, what in the, what is going on? Because it says, it says in another place in Luke's gospel that Mary and Joseph were amazed at what that old man, Simeon, uh, had said about their infant child. We talked about that last week. So Mary, she, she, she pondered these things. She even wrestled with these things until she was able to accept them and even embrace them. And that's what meditation is all about. We talked about meditation last summer when we looked at the Psalms through the summer. And the Psalms teach us that a blessed life is a life of meditation. Psalm 1 says that, right? The blessed life, the happy life, the good life from God's perspective is a life that meditates on his truth until we're able to embrace it, you know, to wrestle with and ponder and just chew on God's truth until we can accept it so that it actually changes our lives, the way we think and the decisions we make and the priorities we have and how we live. That's a life of meditation and that's a blessed life, the Old Testament said. Well, Christian faith is really meditating on Jesus until he changes you. That's being a disciple of Christ. Meditating on who Jesus is and what he's done and what he has said until it changes you and transforms you. And a life of faith doesn't equate to present perfection. Faith doesn't mean we're all perfect right now. Mary was, if Mary was not perfect, and I hope you see that she was not, and you and I are not going to be right now. We're going to sometimes, like she was and like her other children were, we are sometimes going to be perplexed by Jesus to the point of being frustrated and maybe even of doubting what he says. Because what he says challenges our assumptions about the world our presuppositions about what is true and what is good and what is right. Jesus challenges what is convenient and what is easy and what is comfortable. He, loves, he will love you as you are, but he will love you too much to leave you as you are. 
And so being close to Jesus mean, means having to wrestle with and ponder the truth about him like Mary had to. But the, the Bible invites you to take all of these matters about Jesus close to your heart. You know, get them get right in there, right? You take many things close to your heart. You take many things and bring them close to the seat of your soul, the part of your life that desires and plans and hopes and dreams and fears. You, that part of your life, the Bible invites you to take Jesus close into that chamber and just think about and reflect upon and ponder the truth about him. Holding on to what you learn about him. Meditating on him until you can worship him and adore him. That's the Christian life. Simeon, the old man in the temple, said to Mary and Joseph, he said many things to them. Right? He said, this guy, this kid is going to be great. And uh, he's, he's going to be amazing. And this kid is going to humble a lot of people. And he said to them, in chapter 2, verse 35, and I'll quote this specifically, he said to them, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The truth about Jesus pierces people. It cuts right into you, into that dark chamber of your heart. The seat of your life that motivates everything about you. Right? Simeon said to his parents, he's going to pierce right into there. Right? That's what Jesus really does. So is he piercing you? Has Jesus pierced into that hidden place in your life? Are you letting him or are you trying to contort Jesus into your own understanding of who he should be? That's actually what Mary did. There's a place in John's gospel in John chapter 2 where they were at this wedding in Cana. And according to John's gospel, this was the first public miracle that Jesus performed. It's when his disciples began to really put their faith in him. He changed a bunch of water into wine and blessed the hosts of the wedding feast from being embarrassed because they, they ran out of wine. Uh, but the scene went something like this in John chapter 2. Mary came to him and said, they have no wine. And then Jesus said, woman, now that you got to understand the language there. That wasn't a disrespectful term. It was a respectful way of referring to his mother. But he said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Um, and then Mary said to the wedding servants, do whatever he tells you. And uh, it, it's very clear that, that Jesus was frustrated with what his mom was saying. But nonetheless, he went ahead and uh, provided wine for the wedding miraculously but what you get to see there is that mary's plans for her son knowing that he was very special were not the same plans as god's plans for her son you see that tension there with mary and the grown jesus where their agendas were not lining up mary did not fully understand who her son was and um, I, now i asked my grandmother's here and I asked her if I had her permission to share the story with you. She said yes. So here's some wisdom from Mima. Um, years ago, this is many years ago when I was in seminary, uh, 
she came up to me. Uh, I had an old aunt cooking uh, spaghetti sauce and meatballs on the stove, and we were in the kitchen talking. And it's like Mima basically had sort of an epiphany, and she came to me. She said, Brian, I, I know why we shouldn't pray to Mary. I know why we shouldn't pray to Mary. I said, really? Tell me why. She said, the wedding, the wedding in Cana. And then she put it in her own words. She said, they were at the wedding and, and, and Mary said, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus said, ma, what do you want from me? And she said, and this was the point. She said, she said, you see, he didn't listen to his mother then. Why should he listen to her now? I don't need to pray to Mary. And the reason I mentioned that, and I thought, wow, that's actually profound. That's profound. This is the point. You can't bend Jesus to your own preferences and plans and desires. He will not participate with you. He will not give in to simply what you want. He's too full of love and justice to do that. Jesus, Jesus will not, he will not bend to your view of who he should be and what he should say and what he should do for you and what he should do for the, the world. He will say and what he will, he will say and he will do what the world needs to be done. He's not a genie. He's a savior. He will always do exactly what you need, but not necessarily what you want. And if you're in the habit of contorting Jesus into you, what you want him to say and what you want him to do for you, you're in real danger. You're in real danger if you're unwilling to just take Jesus for who he is, for who he said he was, to listen to him and to take his words at face value for what they mean and to really reflect on what he's done and what he offers you right here in the Bible, in the gospel, in the scriptures. You're in danger if you're going to try and listen to Jesus and respond to him on your own terms. He was not willing to entertain Mary's agenda for him. He will not entertain yours. He cares too much about you to just let you have your way. That's what a savior is. A savior comes to you on his terms and saves you. And I think Mary began to realize that. Because in the end... In the end, she was able to embrace him for who he truly was. Because in the early church, she was with the believers who changed the world in his name. And some of his siblings, were told in the book of Acts, were part of that movement too. They eventually, after wrestling with it, they eventually got who he was and believed what he said. Saving faith. People have faith in all sorts of things. The kind of faith that saves you that the Bible actually talks about, that kind of faith responds to Jesus as being both unique and familiar to you. This unique and familiar concept that we're talking about, it applies to Jesus too, but here's how. Jesus is unique in that he is the creator. He is God in human flesh. He is, he is Lord. There is no higher authority than Jesus in the universe uh, or for you. And he is unique because he's the savior of the world. 
And you can't make him what you want him to be. He simply is. And you must accept him as he is. He accepts you as you are. There's something very familiar about Jesus, though, and, it, and it's echoed in the song. Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, but he came for you. He's not just the Savior of the world, but he offers to be, or he is, your Savior. And he calls people who believe in him his friends. Not, his, not simply his servants, but, but his friends. He lets them in on what's really going on in the universe. On the universe, on life from God's perspective. How does the song put it? And you were made for all mankind, but you will always be mine. There's, a, there's an aspect to Mary's life that we can't comprehend, but there's something in there that we can hold on to. Saving faith believes that Jesus is God's gift to the world, but is God's gift to you. Saving faith is very personal. Saving faith is not just, yeah, Jesus has the answer. To the world. But saving faith says, Jesus has the answer for me. I don't get to just hoard him to myself. Jesus is not my personal, my personal genie to just inflict what I want on other people. Jesus, Jesus came for the world. Jesus has a bigger agenda than just me and my life. But Jesus very much came for me. Faith has to embrace both, both the uniqueness of who he is and the, and the very personal familiarity. He's your savior too, or he wants to be. So we can't claim to have a mother's perspective on Jesus, can we? You know, or a younger brother's or a, or a younger sister's perspective in, 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 in this biological, uh, everyday life sense. But we can claim Jesus as our friend. We can claim him as, as a big brother in heaven, right? holding on to our eternal inheritance until we see him face to face someday. We can claim Jesus as our deliverer and our savior and our Lord and our king. And we can claim him as our heart's greatest desire. Because if you bring him close to you, eventually he will change you so that you want him more than you want anything else. So, meditate on him. Let Christmas remind you to meditate, to really ponder who Jesus is in a fresh way, okay? Uh, don't try and make him as you want him to be. And, and don't put words in the Savior's mouth. See him for who he is. See him for what he's done and for what he's actually said. And discover him more deeply. Or maybe discover him for the first time. The Apostle Paul learned that a life of faith was really a life of treasuring Jesus. Sometimes we get really complicated and say, oh, I need to do more. I need to be more active in, in the world. And I need to give more. And, and I need to be kinder. And I need to be happier. And I need to be quiet more. And these are all good things. But, but there's really one thing that's needed more than anything else. And Paul discovered the secret to what that one thing was. Uh, he said to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Paul said that it, it wasn't having a righteousness of his own. He said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, uh, but a righteousness through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'll just pause there in quoting that scripture. Is that's, that's the gift of God. That's the gift that God offers. Uh, that's what God was doing when Jesus showed up there in that stable. Uh, when God invaded time and space and humanity's existence, it, that's what it, God was bringing a gift. And it wasn't just the baby, it was his righteousness. Because we don't have that that kind of credentials when we stand in the presence of God. We, we don't carry our own righteousness. All you and I carry is a bag of dirty clothes, the prophet Isaiah said. Even our best attempts at living a good life as, as human beings, they're still dirty clothes compared to God's perfection and, and, and who we once were before we fell from grace, before humanity fell. The gift of God is his righteousness given to you as a gift. And faith in Jesus is saying, I want his righteousness. I'm done playing the game and acting like I'm righteous myself. No, I need, I need a substitute. I need somebody to hang on the cross for me and my sins. And that's why Jesus came. That's the gift. You're a dirty record for his perfect record. Your sinfulness for his righteousness. That's the gift of God. And Paul, who is a very legalistic person, proud of his law keeping, proud of his rule keeping and his code keeping, he realized, wait, there's a gift. It's God's righteousness. I don't have to put words in God's mouth anymore and misinterpret him and make him out to be what he's not and say what he never said. I can trust that he offers me what I can't do for myself. He offers me his righteousness. So Paul went on to say, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Bring Jesus close to your heart. Bring him close to your heart. And you will discover that he has already brought you close to his. Allow Advent season, allow Christmas to remind you that a life of faith, as Christianity understands it, as the Bible understands it, a life of faith is a life of treasuring what Jesus has said and what he has done and making it familiar and personal to you. And have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we, we do not have the ability to look, to read your word, to read scripture, to read Luke's gospel and, and psychologically know all that Mary was going through and everything that she was thinking. But we praise you that you offer to us the same gift that you offer to her, faith in your son, a savior, a redeemer, a Lord, a champion to fight for us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
So, Father, help us as Mary did, whether she was a young girl or an older woman. Help us to ponder who this Jesus is, what he said and what he's done. To ponder his words, to ponder his death, to ponder his resurrection, to ponder the fact that he's coming back. Father, help us when we doubt him and when we struggle with what he said and what he's done. Give us faith to trust you. In his name, in Jesus' name, amen.